0: To be honest, not a lot of things in the world beat roast pork belly or pork, like the middle of the pork of a not a too big a pig, crackly as hell, like if if you're a master of the crackle, you're pretty much a master of the universe.
1: This is The Crackling, I'm Anthony Huckstep. The warm climate. Incredible seafood and bounty of tropical fruit and vegetables all drive the menu and ambience at award-winning restaurant Nunu in Far North Queensland. But for owner, Nick Holloway, pork weaves a vital web through the menu to bring balance and depth too. Nick, how are you going?
0: Ah Good, Huck. How you going, bud?
1: Good. I know it's a little <laughs> bit cold in uh, down south where I am at the moment, but um, I, I think you're still in singlets.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's hardly the case up here. It is still extremely tropical and it's been pouring with rain for the last two days, which has been a bit of a challenge. But uh, it seems like every time I fire up my smoker at home, it decides to rain and my whole house gets inundated with smoke much to the uh frustration of my wife and children <laughs>
1: <laughs> well um you have an amazing menu up there that really dips into that sort of tropical fruits and seafood that's available but you know we don't often think about pork in that sort of setting but you you do amazing things with pork T- tell us a little bit about um the connections you've made up there
0: i think uh you, you know if you, if you kind of think about that a little bit more i mean pork is prevalent throughout southeast asia which is largely tropical climate um, it's just such an incredibly versatile product that has so many applications from cold cuts to fermentation and sausage making and and, and you know traditional roasts etc and i have always been fascinated by pork i suppose it's a love affair that started with my mother which i imagine is the same for most people a bit of roast pork and apple sauce my mum's a pom um, but up here i have this incredible uh, supplier, Bushy Creek Farms who are, you know, 100% pasture raised, finished on grass, fed on grass, hormone free, chemical free, and no fertilizers used um, on their pasture. And I also buy whole cattle off them as well. Uh, so it's, it, it's really an opportunity to work with super premium uh, pigs, super premium quality products but also have that very direct relationship um, with the farmers and suppliers. And that's, that's really been the, what's kept me in far north Queensland so long. You know, I, I grew up, grew up, well, you know, but I, I started in quite high profile restaurants in the big city and, you know, we had the best of everything, but it was always sort of at arm's length. And, you know, you're, you're unfortunately, yes, you have everything, but everything comes at the, at the cost of sort of third-party supplies and a purveyor or someone in between you and the actual um, grassroots product. And, and when I came up here to Far North Queensland, I was just totally enamoured by, you know, a rekindling of that flame. I grew up in a country town. Uh, and those close relationships you have with people, and that really is, it really is—it really is a sense of community. You know, you really do have that—that that sort of kindred spirit that you're all going through the same experience at the same time in the same place, and that is um, warms the soul, mate. It makes you feel good.
1: That sounds amazing. Does it? Does it give you a sense of obligation? You know, when you have such a strong connection with with the farmer, you know, the pigs, for example. Do you do you feel a real obligation on the plate when you're cooking it?
0: absolutely and, and you know I, I think that 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 people's you know that the the, the the fact that you can be at arm's length to the reality of what it is to consume meat by shopping at the supermarket which we all do i've got, I've got nothing against the convenience of I mean, it's the modern life but the, it really does impress upon you the importance of you know being a custodian all the way through like it, from start to finish and and it gives, the, you know, certainly my team, gives them a real sense of appreciation for what what the cost was here. But you know, both the cost of a life, the cost of the cost of um, uh, caring and looking after the land, the cost of production. And I'm not talking about financial costs so much, more more a, more a sort of um, philosophical costs. Uh, and the fact that you do start to think, geez, I've, got to, I've really got to do the right thing here. <laughs> you know, I've got to make sure I get every single scaric used and do it with a real sense of grace and a real sense of sort of uh, respect. But
1: Tell us a little bit though about those pigs when you get them in. Do You mentioned the smoker earlier. Does any of it hit the smoker?
0: <laughs> but pretty much everything hits the smoker in my, <laughs> in my house. Now, I've had a complete fascination with um, sausage making of late. I believe, oh, you know, I, I'm not the only one to say this, but it's an art form um, that is, like, often overlooked. And maybe it's our association with the Bunnings $2 sausage, uh, which has its place. And, uh, you know, I... I we love that, and I love, love a bit of a sausage in the morning on a Saturday. That's weekend warriors. But I, I think that there, there's another elevation to that. You know, like I heard a reference to it the other day, and then, you know, I was doing one of my endless searches for more, <laughs> more cook, pork cooking products. But someone called it uh, hot guts as a description for um, hot links or hot smoked sausages. Uh, you know, and just the very idea that you're putting, you know, the shoulder into an intestine is, is it, whilst it seems macabre, I think it takes a deft hand. And it also, you know, you've got you, you've got to sort of stuff it up a couple of times to realise, you know, there's a real nuance there uh, that gets you to the point of, uh, you know, the holy grail of sausage perfection. Uh, you know, I've had a couple of cracks at mortadella. I mean, that's been a, a really um, challenging, but, so, I mean, so far the results have been amazing. I'm hardly going to, uh, you know, rock the boat of the... Uh, <laughs> Of the italians yet but i i certainly um i feel like I'm, I'm putting out a pretty good product and that's and that's you know largely due to the, the i think the quality of the, the raw product the pig itself uh, so i've made some bacon and i you know yesterday i had some pork neck in the in the smoker first and did a bit of a reverse sear so I uh, yeah it, i am truly fascinated you know truly fascinated and i think it started a very long time ago um, one of my best mates growing up is an Italian bloke, and you know they had the, you know the classic vinyl on the lounge suite and salami's hanging in the garage above the Statesman, um, you know, and that that was sort of that early feeling of um, of what could be done with pork. But then moving to Melbourne from Country Victoria and living in inner city Melbourne in, in uh, North Carlton, where I had a really close proximity to uh, Casa Averica, the, the shop there. Uh, and in those days, Angel was making, or I don't know how to say the Spanish uh, pronunciation, I'm sorry, but Angel was making that incredible jamon uh, that the whole roof was filled with. And it was such a travesty when he got stopped from doing that. Uh, but the jamon was incredible. And then the Italians, obviously, with salami and... and. Um, Sausage on Lygon Street, but not only that. I lived and worked. You know, I lived, I worked. I apologise for that. I worked over in Richmond, and obviously had to go past Victoria Street. And the Vietnamese have just such a such a uh, panache when it comes to using pork as well. You know, one of my favourite things in the world is a banh mi, and it's got you know liver pate and uh, cold cut and some almost some luncheon meat, uh, which I had a crack at recently for my uh, my daughter's birthday. And uh, you know, whip the pork, whip the pork mince, and then and then also put a fine, sort of uh, following uh, the red lantern method, bit of pork mince through it, and then wrapped it in banana leaf and steamed it, and that was just awesome. And it's actually quite quite easy to do, and you know, to Dutch up a bit of lunch meat for the kids for the week for their school lunches. um, It was awesome. (laughs)
1: <laughs> what well, after sort of when you carved your career in, in Melbourne, What why did you make the move to North Queensland and, wh- and what was it like for you?
0: Uh, to be honest, you know, the, the roots of that story aren't super clear to me. I don't really know why. Well, you know, you, you kind of look back and think, why did I move to Cairns? Like, I had been here on holiday twice. Uh, I had done no real market research at all, I think it was just that time in your life. You get itchy feet around twenty-seven, or well, I know a lot of people who have, and I do think that a regional life was calling me again. You know, and I know I've told this story before, but if you grow up in the country and you're a country kid, there is this, and, and you're a, a little bit flamboyant and creative. It certainly feels like there's a claustrophobia of of country life that that as a young person you know when you're in your teens and you're early or your teens essentially really feels like it's closing you off and not allowing you to fly free and i moved to the city you know i went to uni for a little bit that didn't work out and i think what attracted me to kitchens was that kind of wild pirate life the all-inclusiveness of kitchen life um and But after some time, there's a feeling or I I can only speak for myself, but the sentiment for me in the city was it was feeling very, very lonely and very kind of um, unconnected, like there was a disconnect. I mean, I lived in a terrace house, didn't even know my neighbours, didn't even really make an effort. I mean, maybe that's a function of being a 20-something, you know. And enjoying city life but it just felt like there was something missing and that's something missing ironically it's kind of getting back to where you started i mean i live in a tiny little town that may as well be where i grew up i say hello to everyone that i pass in the street i walk my dog every single morning and we, we, we are uniquely connected to, to the whole community you know and and that was absolutely evident during covid you know there was this real sense that we we're all in it together and we were connected and there's this something that adds something to life i don't know I don't, I don't don't have the vocabulary to explain it correctly but it, it's it is there is something yeah there is something absolutely special about that sense of uh being connected and and knowing that you're part of something that you're contributing that you're taking that you're all part of this sort of to and fro this push and pull of community super important to me um and then and then from a creative uh, capacity aspect I was in a whole new world I came to far north Queensland the ingredients were different the 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 relationships with the with people were different and and it's almost like learning to like you think you're a pretty good painter and then someone gives you another whole set of colors and you're like what do I do with these and you, you, you kind of go back to the start and there's this like there's a great childlike joy and quality to that experience How do I use this? Ooh, maybe I could try this. Maybe I could try that. And look, there's a lot of mistakes along the way. (laughs) But those mistakes are the sort of mistakes you want to make. You know, they're messy. They're they're learning. They're just like we're trying to make sausages at the moment. (laughs) You know, like it's not all wins, but you feel like the general trend is you're learning. And I, I think that's, yeah, that's something that's super important to me, the development of myself, you know, professionally and personally.
1: One of the beautiful things that's happened over the last sort of 10, 15 years is the boom in regional dining and a real sense of place. And that's something that you've been doing for quite a while. And your your menu and food really speaks of the region. When did you really sort of feel like you were getting on top of that and sort of expressing sort of the voice of the region?
0: Uh, to be honest, probably, you know, we, we turned 20 next year. And which is a long time in hospitality. It's a very long time. If you look at the scene, you look at the marketplace. It is a long time, and that was always our desire as a restaurant, to to avoid, you know, the pitfalls of being cool. We don't. We have no interest in being the most progressive, the most exciting, or the coolest. But I have a very, very, very serious um, ambition to become a fixture, iconic, like to to to, to withstand you know, the, the time and pressure and all the rest to continue to, to offer a local uh, a local product to local people. But, you know, further reaching than that, I mean, it probably was around the 10-year mark when you start to, you know, what was I then, 38, nearly 50 uh, now. So, you, you, you start to get a bit of a feel for for who you are and you're not trying so hard and yet you, you really are just, just sort of teasing out that identity, you know, like I'm sure reinvention is possible. But, um yeah i i do strongly believe and then this is something again like really cemented by covid that people want meaning people want meaning in their lives and meaning is determined by having unique truly unique experiences experiences give life meaning and we we run the risk you know in certain parts of the culture of just reproducing whatever the culture is in every major city and 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 that dilutes and diminishes that experience of having unique experience like truly unique dinners unique culture unique um uh, language and and that's something i think is very very important australia yeah, you know we're, we're, we're a relatively young nation uh, modern australia obviously we're not long term but uh, you know we we run the risk of just being all thrown into the one pot and being called oh that's aussie you know and australia is huge and and Cairns is as far b- above Brisbane as Melbourne is below. You know, we're, we're another 2,000 kilometres. Don't, don't quote me on the numbers, but we're, we're very, very, very long way above Brisbane. And, and, and that gives rise to just incredible geographic diversity, which in turn gives rise to just a plethora of ingredients. And we should be celebrating those differences. We should be actually really, really celebrating those differences.
1: Your menu certainly kind of has that um, Southeast Asian feel to it, that tropical feel in that sense. And t- take us through some of the pork dishes that you, you have there and how they weave with the local tropical ingredients as well.
0: Yeah, we, you know, as I think, I think that's sometimes a misconception that we are a Southeast Asian restaurant. I, I think that there's probably more, more of a synergy with all um, climate parts of the world. I think of it as like food of the sun. You know, Mexico, south of France, Italian. You know, there's no real rules. I, I you know, I think that we're little, a little more broad, a um, little more broad than just Southeast Asia. And um, over the years, we've had a number of pork, like a number of pork dishes on the menu. I mean, one of my favourites from forever ago, which we don't have one at the moment, but it was such a <laughs> such a labour of love, uh, heavily inspired by a David Thompson technique, and we would get pork hocks and deep fry them from raw and then plunge them into ice four or five times and then braise them in this super rich peanut sauce using local peanuts and um not 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 satay necessarily but it's also not Thai just a really punchy sour greasy sort of peanutty um spicy sauce and then we'd after braising them would chill and then we'd fry them again (laughs) so i think these these poor bloody pork had about six runs through the hot oil before you ate them so you could hardly call them healthy but they were definitely delicious so uh you know that's if if there's one thing that's a cornerstone of the business that i still adhere to you know to this day uh, first and foremost it has to be delicious and it has to be done in the spirit of generosity and true hospitality you know uh, they don't come here for me, mate. They come here. For- <laughs> they, they come here for each other, you know. I'm just a we're just a support crew. One of
1: the dishes that I, I noticed on the menu is a coconut roast pork ribs. Take us through that.
0: Oh, I forgot about that. That's one of my all time favourites. Again, <laughs> again, uh, you know, we've we certainly give it a fair old whack. So, pork ribs. Uh, we trim them up a little, but I like to keep them pretty chewy and pretty. Um, pretty meaty. So we then soak them in fish sauce and sugar and then all the offcuts from the um that we may have generated over the day whether that's makrut lime leaves or lemongrass scraps or shallot scraps or chili scraps and that all gets and a little bit of chinese wine and they all get marinated together. And then we braise them in some coconut cream with with the marinade until they just tighten up and set. So they're fully cooked, but they're definitely not falling off the bone. It's not what I'm trying to what we try and do with our ribs. I like a little bit of toothy fit feel. And then they get set in the fridge. And then we make a super super rich pineapple caramel with all of our leftover pineapple. Uh, we rotate them along the wall. The restaurant doesn't have any walls. If you've ever been here, but we rotate them in the sun so they get super super ripe. And then grate the pineapple and simmer it down with some dark palm sugar and some star anise and some cassia and some clove. Uh, and then season that with a little bit of tamarind and fish sauce just to make this really, really jammy pineapple sour caramel. So then we barbecue the pork ribs from over coal and keep brushing them with um, that pineapple caramel so that it almost becomes like a toffee apple, like the outside becomes quite, tacky and crunchy and and super strong and the once they're cooked and quite burnished and brown I do like to take things all the way to some people would think that my cooking is uh heading on towards the burnt end of the region but I feel like that's that's what us Aussies are like you know sun-kissed and sun-blessed so um once they're cooked they get dressed with another one of my a little bit of the roasted coconut and some mackerel lime leaves finely sliced and some uh finger lime our finger line finger lime industry up here is just phenomenal um just on that i was just in new zealand last week and they're paying 185 dollars a kilo for finger limes and i pay which is just you know and, and when things cost that much you treat them very differently to the uh the way we throw them around here at 40 bucks a kilo i promise you and then we make a fresh hot sauce every day and it's, it's not a, um, a, a fermented hot sauce and it's definitely not a Nam Jim Thai style hot sauce. Mind you, the ingredients are similar. There's no sugar. So we just pound up in the mortar and pestle more garlic than you think you should eat uh, with some salt and some chilies and some chopped up mint leaves. Season it with a salt we make, which has got some uh, cassia and star anise and clove and then lots and lots of lime juice so it's bracingly hot like your face should actually pucker and your eyes squint and water when you taste it and so we spoon that over the pork rib so the net result is this smoky barbecue jammy sort of pork rib that's got super concentrated pork flavor from the marinating uh, with this bracingly hot raw sauce and it's a thing of uh, it's a thing of glory. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you're a difficult
1: man to talk to on an empty stomach. Um, <laughs> you, you briefly mentioned making bacon a bit earlier. Tell, tell us about the process you go through there and the successes you've had.
0: Yeah, so the, the last batch of bacon I made was re- really, really, really impressive. Actually, the, the thinner parts were probably a titch salty. I need to figure out how to mitigate that. Uh, so, using just some uh some flake salt and some pink salt uh, just to keep it nice and safe we are in a very hot environment up here and a lot of the I, i like to finish a lot of the small goods i make over slow smoke so they are sitting um you know at low temperatures for some time so having the pink salt in there is necessary and then mountains of molasses from the mossman mill and i just i find molasses a really fascinating cooking um ingredient in the fact that it it's not sweet at all, uh, but it has this just almost like funky, jungly mystery. You know, it's got a, it's got a really quite interesting flavour. And I keep always, whenever I taste it, I pick up those anise notes. It's almost licorice you um, know, in, in its flavour. And so slathered all over the pork belly that we use. I didn't use the round, the eye, the belly, just the, just the belly itself. Um, marinated that for seven days and then as it cured and then what rinsed it off and dried it for a day and then smoked it um, until I got an internal of 70 degrees and it was absolutely cracking. I mean, burnished, dark, dark chocolate brown, almost this beautiful smell. I mean, I think anise and pork have got, you know, they've got a natural natural affinity there. Uh, as I said, the, the thinner end was probably a titch salty, but I can mitigate that with whatever I serve it with. But the, um, the thicker end... Oh, my God. I was just eating it sliced. (laughs) My kids and I were just eating it sliced out of the smoker. So, it was just incredible.
1: Wow. Do do you have sort of any dishes that you use that in or thoughts of how you use the bacon?
0: Not as yet, but what I'm thinking, (laughs) this is yet to uh, actually be tested in anyway. But uh, like a riff on a – somewhere between a Caesar and a Rockefeller style salad. But basically, thin sliced candied molasses roast bacon – we're our fig season's in full bloom here at the moment. Um, some sliced cause, kind of in strips. So, sliced cause, some bacon, you know, this homemade bacon, the figs, a bit of a fig juice, maybe some lavender, and then make a whey dressing. So, it would be like salty, lactic, sour, and fruity, but with that real punch of... Uh, Molasses roast pork belly. <laughs> mm,
1: amazing. You, you, you mentioned that you would um, made some mortadella and you had some real wins there. What, t- take us through the mortadella making process. What's sort of important when you're making it?
0: I Yeah. So, I mean, it was my first crack at an emulsified uh, sausage. So, you know, at first it seems really odd to be keeping the meat as lean as possible. So, no additional fat. Um so I actually the first one I used the shoulder and painstaking or two, or two or three shoulders and a fibrous casing and painstakingly removed all the sinew and fat uh but kept back fat off the back of the pig that I diced up and some some raw macadamias. Uh and then whipped kept it as just insanely cold. So just in and out of the freezer, in freeze to mince, back in the freezer, freeze to go through the robo to just get a super fine mousse. Uh, and then freeze again, and then keeping it just below four you know, below, like nearly zero degrees the whole time, and then whipping in the um, whipping in the water and the wine, and just making sure that temperature just doesn't get up at all. Which, if you live and work in an ambient temperature of what feels like about fifty degrees and one hundred percent humidity, uh, it's it's a challenge. And that's what's been fun. You know, everything you read is like, ah, oh, the sausages get made in winter, and I'm like, well, it's not winter. But we're going to have a crack, um, you know. And I think that if you're really doing super hygienic um, and making sure, you know, you're hitting all of those marks with the temperature and then making sure that you're using the right kind of inhibitors to make sure nothing nasty grows, uh, you know, it's all good. It's all good. So my first one, I used less wine and I got a classic mortadella soft baby pink and I was really happy. I did have – I think I could have done a better job with getting a finer mousse – and a little bit of sinew here and there. The second one, being typical cowboy, I added more wine or reduced wine further. Uh, and it did give the whole thing a burgundy sort of hue, which wouldn't pass any DOC. <laughs> but it was delicious and had a far better mouthfeel. It's a little creamier, you know. It's a very special, very special cut of meat, the old Mortadella. And then it smoked for about six hours. You know, and my smoker looks like something out of Mad Max. It's not, your, um, it's not your classic smoker. It's made from recycled or upcycled, as we like to say, uh, farm rubbish, farm junk. You know, it's an old LPG tank and bits of wire and, you know, and, and metal from here and there, but it certainly works. So, yeah.
1: What sort of flavour combinations have you landed on with the sausages?
0: Uh, my favourite to date... And that my r- most recent batch, I reckon, are the winner. They're the ones I'll put in the can show. I reckon, no. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not ready for the show yet. But I'm tell you what, I've got my eyes on the prize. Um, I want to be number one. I want to be king of the north as far as sausages go. And the, 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 I'm eyeing off all the local butchers. I'm coming for them. I tell you what. Uh, so a really coarse grind of sausage, lots and uh, sorry, pork. This Bushy Creek pork, lots and lots of intramuscular fat, a bit of added fat, you know, sitting around that probably 30% 3070 rule, I'd say. Um, and then crutch eye, so which has just come into season here in Cairns at, at Rusty's Market. So I got a whole handful of finger root or wild ginger uh, two weeks ago at the market, and it's got that, geez, it's got a, such a, an exotic flavor, um, and a little bit of white sugar and a little bit of white pepper, so almost leaning towards that um thai vietnamese flavor profile but in a very very traditional um european sausage uh, natural casings a little bit smaller i did move towards using some milk powder as a binder which i didn't want to at first but it is just milk it doesn't make them dairy free but tell you what it gives the sausage some serious snap that's and uh, gives it a oh cuz before that you know a couple of batches ago i did i did everything the same and had a grainy granular sort of feeling sausage i was absolutely heartbroken there's no way i'm going to win the prize with that one um and then did some more reading and found out about using milk powder just to give it using the casein in there to give it just a bit more crunch i love a a, you know new york hot dog sort of crunch on the sausage so yeah i'm pretty happy
1: what's your favorite cut of of the pig and do you have a way that you like to cook it
0: oh oh it's all pretty good (laughs) <laughs> it's all pretty damn good. I can honestly think of an application for every single part of the pig that I love, from the ears to the snout to the tail to the face, the bones, the the, the trotters, the shanks. Oh, what to pick, what to choose. I, to be honest, not a lot of things in the world beat roast pork belly or pork, like the middle of the pork of a not a too big a pig. Crackly as hell. Like if you if you're a master of the crackle, you're pretty much a master of the universe. You know, there's not <laughs> not many things to pass. I'm mean, going to tell you what it's rich, and you feel feel like you push the limits a bit because you can't stop eating it. But when you season super crackly pork um, with a you with know, a nice spice salt, oh my god, and that intramuscular fat's melted. And if you get your timings correct, everyone's got their own methodology. Um, I like to do a heavy pre-salt, a good dry, roast in a very hot oven, and then drop it down, hope for, you know, hopefully you don't get any bubbling. If you can do it over smoker in the wood oven at home, oh my God, that, just, that adds another level.
1: 20 years ago, you made the sort of move out of the city and to far north Queensland. If you think back sort of what you were like back then as a chef and a person compared to now, like what sort of impact has this huge change and, and uh, had on you?
0: Uh, I think it's just growing older. Like, you just get more confident about who you are and what you're doing. If you think of the way, and I'll speak for myself, I mean, as a young chef, you're just always thinking about what you can add to a dish. You're obsessed with what could you add that would further, um, you know, remind everyone of your skill and technique. What could you do to, to further kind of push the fortress so that, the brand of yourself. What more can you add? And and you, you said something happens in the middle when you start realizing it's not what you add; it's what you take off. And I don't care if it's music, if it's painting, if it's if it's fashion, if it's uh, they're all the creative arts. It's it's what is is what is the barest minimum required to say the most, you know. And and, and that's it. And that's the that's like the art of living. You just don't. You just start to realise it's not what you're putting on the dish. It's what you're taking off. It's what do you? Can I just say everything I need to say? And this is just it in its purest form. And that to me, there's that comes back to what does Nunu mean as a restaurant? Well, Nunu essentially just means nude. It means unencumbered. It means you know. It means purity. That's its goal. I mean, it's, it's ambitious. I'm not saying we get there all the time. And, and mastery is elusive, and, and the closer you get to it, the more you realise it's fucking a long way away, you know? Um, but, but at least you can see it. You can start to see what it could look like, and, and you start moving towards that elusive goal, uh, which is just to be, like I said, pure, nude, and unencumbered.
1: Well, Nick, it's a nightmare to talk to you on an empty stomach, but as always, it's really entertaining. Um, We've loved having you on The Crackling today to hear a part of your story. Um, Please keep in touch and we'll catch up again soon.
0: Will do, mate. Ripping yarn, great to have a chat, bud.
1: This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.